I actually want this place to work for you, buddy. I really do. I don't want to. I don't want to take it from me. I don't want to knock it down. I will take it from me. I will knock it the fuck down. I don't want to. But if it's going to work for you, you got to give up every fucking minute, every drop of blood you have. You cannot take your eyes off this thing. And in return, you know what you're going to get? Nice sharp kick in your little nuts daily for the foreseeable future. How's that all sound to you? kind of been dating someone really yeah oh shit I gotta tell you nephew I don't know if I've ever been so happy to hear anything in my entire fucking life and I say the following with all the love of my heart the eat your content podcast i'm your host rich herrera thank you for choosing my little pod you have a lot to choose from but you chose this one so thank you for tuning in listening today a couple of programming reminders this is our uh final recap of the bear uh we're covering season two episode nine and ten so if you missed out on any of the other recaps make sure you uh go back they're all archived on whichever podcast player you use so make sure you like follow and subscribe uh to make uh, be notified of new episodes coming up that are coming down the pipe later on uh follow me on socials at eat your content at rich herrera on instagram also on facebook and TikTok, also at Eat Your Content on TikTok. So I'm, I'm trying to do those now. You're not going to see me doing any weird dancing on TikTok, but I will be promoting my pod on there. Uh, welcome, Chef Damien, back for one more, one last round of talking about the bear. Uh, thank you for joining me on the on the podcast again, Chef Damien. Glad to be back. Bittersweet, though. I mean, like I said, I love having these conversations. So uh, hopefully uh, season three will get here sooner rather than later. I know, right? I, I think it's what, like a year in between? That's that's a long time. I don't, yeah. I don't know, man. You give us 10, 30-minute episodes, I finish it in a weekend, and I get like depressed afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. what's the next new season coming out? Uh, so let's talk about season, uh, episode 9 and 10. Episode 9 is called Omelette. It's directed by Chris Storr and written by Joanna Callow and Chris Storr. Uh, and the reason why it's called Omelette, we're going to talk about here in a little bit, uh, a neat little chefy hack uh, that I, I can't wait to tell you <laughs> it, when I tried it, how it turned out. Uh, but it's opening day for the bear. It's friends and family, soft opening day. Uh, when when you started the food truck, did you kind of have like a, a soft opening just to test things out with like friends and family? It seems to be a common practice with restaurants. Yeah, we just we ended up booking something that we knew was kind of be a little a little bit slower. So we had a chance to have some people kind of, you know, come and try some different stuff. But, you know, the problem is that uh, that date always got pushed back. You know, it's kind of the uh, par for the course. Everything gets delayed 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 so yeah. you know it, it is fun when that gets to that point but uh yeah it's it, we had we definitely had a friends and family type day awesome so in the bears case things have finally kind of fallen into place everything's looking good um carmy and, and claire are in a real good spot in their relationship he's he's looking happy um but there is a, a kind of a major panic attack that carmy has outside and, and we talked in the last episode about um the everyone's life flashing before their eyes and the fire suppression test and this one kind of goes a step further with carmy and and he has so much on the line could could you identify with that when you you I think you mentioned you moved from from Philly to Jacksonville and started the food truck. So you kind of had a similar situation, everything on the line. Can you kind of understand the panic attack that he was having at that moment? Yeah, I mean, you I mean, for me, it was going from, you know, getting a regular paycheck, you know, as a chef to to now being like, hey, uh, you know, everything that you do, you know, is, is, is your life is in the balance. You have to pay bills you have things you have to, to worry about now and if you don't go out there and find a way to make money you're in trouble so i mean that i think that's kind of the uh the pressure he's feeling is you know we talked about it before in the last pod you know he's got the weight of the he's got the weight of everyone on his shoulders right now he's got to succeed you know it's it's enough enough talking and now it's like okay this restaurant is opening we need to make it happen we need to make money you know we need to pay back our debtors you know everything's got to come together so 
Yeah. Yeah. So definitely understandable why he would have a panic attack. Sid also was under her own pressure to make this work. She had a failed catering business on the, uh, in a previous episode, she explained that one. And as she's walking to work, she sees Verdana, which is one of the fictional restaurants that she went to visit, uh, on a previous episode that is now closed. And now that, now that reality kind of setting in for, uh, but this episode overall is kind of, uh, kind of laid back. Everybody's just kind of starting to get ready to open up and Carmi and sugar sitting in the restaurant, having a conversation about this painting and the painting looked awful, but was kind of a hilarious text because sugar gave me a little bit of a life hack that I think I'm going to try. If, if you're texting people that are notorious for not responding, <laughs> you ask them a request and say, don't respond if this is okay. <laughs> and that's what she did to Carby. He's like, Hey, I, I got this painting. I want to hang up. Uh, if it's okay with you, don't respond. And I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> And then, and then he's surprised that it's hung up. I, I thought that was, uh, I thought that was pretty, pretty funny and pretty interesting, and, and a neat little life hack. <laughs> if you wanna, yeah, get an answer from somebody yeah. that doesn't respond. Just say, hey, don't respond, and I'll take that as a yes. So that that was pretty neat. Yeah, that drives uh, me nuts. So <laughs> yeah, I know. Like respond, man. It's a text. <laughs> Just give me a thumbs up or something. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, so we find out, too, that Ibra, he's he's uh, tapped to run the sandwich window, but find out he can't because he's not serve safe, serve safe certified, which is a tongue twister. And of course, they turned Uncle Jimmy because apparently he can get that done in less than a day. Uh, so so talk to me a little bit about serve safe certified. Is that something that's something we do in Florida or is that something that's what? regional or? Oh, it's national. So, I mean, ServeSafe is a is from the National Restaurant Association. It is a, a national program. Basically, it is your, um, you know, it's the the way you get all your your employees, you know, properly trained. It's ServeSafe Manager Program. Um, it has to do with food safety. It has to do with, you know, situations with guests. You know, things that anyone in any kind of food service facility or, or food handler is going to be uh, tasked with. Um, yeah, you can go get that test just about anywhere. I mean, ours is, uh, it has to be renewed every five years. So that's one of the first things they're going to look at when you get your health inspections, they're going to want to see that you're, there's at least one serve safe manager and that at least the people that are preparing food have food handler cards. You know, it's, it's, it's very important. I mean, we're talking about public safety. We talked about it with the gas before, but this is a whole nother thing. You know, you have to understand time, temperature, abuse. You have to understand all the different, especially in today's day and age with the food system. You need to know, you know, all the daily, uh, the toxins that can be found in food, you know, food allergies, things like that. Um, you know, the even things as mundane as like washing your hands properly. I mean, you'd be surprised how many times you have to remind somebody, hey, wash your hands because, you know, in a kitchen, you see gloves are great, but gloves are only good if you're if you're changing them and you're, you know, in your you're being, you know sanitary so we definitely want to try to stay on uh, the hand washing thing and um you know anyone that's involved in any kind of a a restaurant is definitely the uh the base level knowledge you have to have so i wouldn't i wouldn't hire anyone that's not service certified for sure Let's talk about Uncle Jimmy kind of greasing the wheels of this uh serve safe certification um it, it it appeared i don't know how how what actually happened, obviously, but it appeared that Ebro was able to, you know, watch the training videos and get certified, you know, that day before they were to open, you know, the, the, the sandwich window. Is this something that's, uh, that Uncle Jimmy really greased the wheels on, or, or is this something that anybody oh, yeah. could just sign up and do the next day? I mean, it's, he could, he could just easily gone to a class and done it, but I mean, if you need it now, I mean, they can, they can make that happen. I mean, it's a matter of, I'm sure they, they can print a certificate and, and, you know, get it done. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to make somebody mad saying this, but it is Chicago. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean and I'm sure that there's ways around a lot of things, but, you know, I mean, you see that more in, in big cities, like you can, you can kind of play, play those games. I mean, I've, I've never going to put myself in a situation where I'm, I'm paying off an inspector or anything like that. But I mean, I've seen those things happen. So, I mean, hey, if if it's if that's the thing that's that's keeping that gentleman from making a ton of money, then it, he's going to make sure it's taken care of. I mean, there's nothing that's going to stop his his investment from, you know, coming to fruition. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's further evidence for me that Uncle Jimmy is a low key mob boss in oh, Chicago. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I, clearly that's that's what's happening here. It's a, it's a, uh, I know a guy, you know, I know a guy is a popular phrase. Like, yeah, I got some money for that. So I, I know a guy. That's right. That's right. 
Uh, and then Sugar uh, lets Carmi know that she invited Donna, the, the mother, uh, to friends and family, which, you know, is interesting because you have two sides of this coin with Donna in terms of Sugar and Carmi's relationship with them. And Sugar is just constantly seeking mom's approval for things. And Carmi, you know, doesn't really want a whole lot to do with her at all. Um, obviously from episode six that we watched uh, earlier. So I, I thought it was interesting that she... She told him that she invited mom, doesn't know she's going to come. And Carmi's like, okay, you know, I, I, I can accept that. And, you know, so it, it's going to be interesting in the next episode when we see Donna actually come to the restaurant um, on, on how that's handled. Uh, and then we talk about the the consequences of Carmi's divided focus again, that the kitchen design is off. He's He's starting to realize now, like, all this stuff I was focusing on, before I've lost focus on the restaurant. So a left-handed contractor came in and set up the kitchen, but designed it for a left-handed person. And Carmen's like, what is going on? And everybody's telling him, look, we told you all this was going to happen. And you were just like, fine with it. You didn't tell us that this was wrong. And now all of a sudden it's wrong. So um, what did you feel about, how did you feel about that? What did you think about that particular scene when, when we're starting to see the kitchen design is wrong and, and all that stuff? It's almost like in the first season he was too dialed in like he was he was anal and he was angry and he was just you know anxiety ridden person and then he gets a taste of you know a, a normal relationship with this girl and now he's almost like lackadaisical and he's not helping Sydney with menu planning or anything in the restaurant and you know he just took he kind of I think he took he took everything for granted he took everyone for granted you know he was supposed to be the mentor he was supposed to be on top of things and now it's like okay well I expect you all to do your job I can go you know screw around and and hopefully you know we're ready to open a restaurant when I come back I you know that that's low key cockiness confidence you know he's looking at at his uh you know his abilities and going oh we'll figure it out but in reality he's being reckless and you know making big mistakes so, yep, the fridge handle again comes up in this episode as something he should have had an easy fix that should have been fixed a long time ago, and he didn't do it. And right when he's about to call the fridge guy again, and this is a, a great scene where you you physically see the divided focus of Carmi. He's he's calling the fridge guy. He's about to hit send. Claire calls, but at the same time, Claire calls. He's deciding. Should I take this call or not? And then Marcus comes to his to his side and said, "Hey, I need you to test this." And he just drops everything and he takes whatever whatever uh, Marcus was having him taste. And it's just that that divided focus. He's forgetting kind of these small things that's gonna that turn like the butterfly effect. It just turns into into chaos later on that that we'll see. Um, but it's interesting how everybody adapted and and moved through it. Um, so I love the part where uh, they're, they're doing prep and it's, it's just controlled chaos at this point, right? Everybody, they're about to about ready to open. So everybody's prepping, everybody's cooking. Um, and why it felt so tense is that score by new noise or uh, the song new noise by refused that was playing yep. in the background of that scene, man, that song, if you ever want, if you ever want a panic attack playlist, that's the song you want to put on there. Number one, because that made everything seem a lot more tense than before. That's a band and a song that I've loved for a long time. So, like, hearing it on that show was, was super cool for me. But, I mean, they're like – that band, they're like legends in, in a lot of scenes. So, hearing that song was like, well, it's 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 definitely, you know, that frenetic energy. It's crazy. So Yeah. I mean, the, the needle drops in this show, both in the first and second season, could be a pod all on its own. Because I, I think they did a lot of um, – they picked a lot of Chicago-based artists um, for the soundtrack, which I thought was really cool. But um, just the selection of the music on, on this was was uh, was really great. Okay. And then th there's a, a neat little kind of what you think is a throwaway line, but that comes back in the last episode here, is the new chef, Josh, is like mowing through veg prep. And Marcus makes a couple of remarks like – Man, you see, you see Josh with them carrots. He's like flying through it. So uh, that's that's going to be really funny later on. And then Marcus, we we moved to him looking at the desserts, and I loved all his takes on these desserts. So he's got three um, sweets, one savory. Uh, so he's got a, a honey bun, which is I guess a play on his mom's honey bun. Uh, the Copenhagen Sunday, which is a tribute to his time uh, learning in in Copenhagen, and then Sydney's donut (parentheses after Carm destroyed it like a little bitch). <laughs> A reminder of when Carm completely demoralized Marcus in the first season, uh, episode seven. And then I think the one that obviously just 
would make a tear well up in your eye is the Michael, the the savory cannoli. That one was just so um, for for Carmi, it really released a lot of things. He he really had issues with cannolis to begin with because of episode six. Um, and Marcus explains that all the ingredients in that cannoli were a little bit of everybody, uh, a, a little a little piece of everyone is in it, in the bear. Um, and it, it's in remembrance of Mikey. So what do we think of, of Marcus's kind of um, curtain call performance, so to speak, of, of these desserts and, and what he's done over the course of two seasons? I mean, it's almost like the... Um... You know, it's it's everything coming to a head with Marcus. So you have you have these amazing desserts, you know, topped off by, with the savory one that it kind of encompasses everyone's journey. But I mean, it's it's just another example of of him taking that next step. And it's like, hey, well, we can do this now. Everyone's kind of got their their purpose, their spot, and the validation that he gave, you know, Carmi when he showed it to him was, with that cannoli was, you know, was kind of like, hey, we're doing this. This is happening. So let's let's open a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's turned into a real pro. And, and even Carmi talks to him later on. It's like, you can throw down, can't you? And, and Mark's like, yeah. mm-hmm, sure can. Uh, and so Uncle Jimmy, there's a conversation in this uh, scene between Uncle Jimmy and Carmi about focus. Um, and he talks about the the error prone national league championship series between the, uh, with the Cubs. I'm not much of a sports guy. So that kind of flew over my head. I'm not, especially I'm not a baseball guy. I'm just, that's just three hours of boredom that I just cannot handle. I see you're wearing a Phillies cap. So no offense to, to you, but the, the, uh, the pitch clock is probably the best thing they could have done to baseball. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, um, but the point of the the story was, you know, if you want this to be successful, your focus has to be 100% on this restaurant and nothing else. And right after that, Carmi's like, well, I want to tell you I'm, I'm dating somebody. And, and uh, Jimmy's like, I tell you this with all the love in the world. Uh Oh, <laughs> because again, it, it's personifying the divided focus. Like, are you, are you going to be 100% focused on this restaurant or are you going to, are you going to be 100% focused on your, on your girlfriend? And cause it can't be both. Right. It can't be both. And to achieve an excellence at the level that that Carmi and Sid want, it's got to be 100 percent focus on the on the restaurant. I, I was in um, when I was getting my bachelor's degree. I had a business professor that said he tried to be 100 percent in everything when he was doing his doctorate. And he realized he couldn't do it when he was typing out his dissertation. He realized I can't be 100 percent for my family and I cannot be 100 percent on this doctoral dissertation. So he looked at his paper and said, you know what? That's a solid B, and closed his laptop, and and thought, you know what? I'm 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 that's good enough for for that, and I'm you know not going to strain my mental, um, divide my mental capacities with my family. Decided, you know, his family's uh, more important than his doctoral dissertation. He still got his doctorate, but you know, it wasn't a hundred percent. It was it was a B. And, you know, in, in terms of time management, I get that. I understand that. Like, look, I can't be 100 and 100. I can either I can do 50, 50. I can do 75, 25, but I can't be 100 and 100. But I think when when we're talking about running fine dining, three Michelin star restaurants, you know, it, it's hard to have relationships in that kind of an environment. It's really tough to have even personal friendships, let alone a significant other. I've, I've heard of stories of chefs going through multiple marriages uh, trying to run fine dining. So what did you think of that conversation between Jimmy and, and Carm? I mean, he's he's setting him up with with everything he knows from his life experience. In order to be the chef that Carmi wants to be, he has to be a machine, you know, and a lot of these guys are machines. They're emotionless. You know, they, they don't have time to, 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 to enjoy and smell the flowers like a lot of, a lot of people do. And, you know, there's a lot of examples of it. If you watch any of the chef's tables and you see uh, on Netflix and you listen, a lot of those chefs, they, they all have the same story. It's, you know, multiple divorces, you know, their kids hate them. Just a lot of, it's a lot because they're they're very focused on their vision. It's very, you know, tunnel vision. I have to succeed no matter what. I have to succeed. I have to make this happen. And you know, you you lose people, you know, along the way. You know, it's it's part of it because as much as somebody can tell you that they support you and they and that your your vision, no one's ever going to look at it the way you do. So you know, somebody can tell you, oh, I'm there, I got your back, and then next thing you know, you're divorced. So you have to. You know, you have to singularly love what you're doing. And I guess what he's saying is 
don't complicate things right now because we need to we need to make money. We need to make this work. But how do you tell somebody that's in love with another person like, oh, well, that's silly. Focus on the restaurant. But yeah, I guess you, you got to be a machine. You got to be a killer to, to do what these guys do at the highest yeah. level. So. Yep. And I like the comparison you made to, you know, Chef's Table on Netflix. I think what Jeremy Allen White does really well in playing Carmi is encompassing that um, obsession, right? Obsession with with this restaurant and and opening it up. And and with Chef's Table, that's a common refrain that you hear from all those chefs. It's an obsession, right? Uh, to create this this vision and this atmosphere of of fine dining and. So Jimmy, you know, is kind of right at at the very beginning, at least you got to have a hundred percent focus until you can get a crew in place that can run it without you. Um, and, you know, it, it was, I just thought it was a really interesting scene and, and really condensed the entire kind of season up in one conversation. So you, uh, we, what's if you ever get a chance, watch the uh, Charlie Trotter documentary on Amazon. Yeah. Because he, there's a there's a scene where he talks about his first wife and or one of his wives and he says she says I need you to choose between the restaurant and me and he said I choose the restaurant so I mean it's it sounds cold blooded and it sounds but I mean some of these guys are maniacal in the way they think and they're like like I have to do whatever it takes to succeed and that's what happens sometimes but I'm just I just it was a good side note if you ever get a chance to watch that it's 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 interesting because he was yeah. he was definitely the uh, He's the guy that kind of brought up everybody, you know, the big names, you know, you know, the the Grand Ackets and all, all the ones that you know now, especially in Chicago, you know, kind of ties into the bear. But, you know, Charlie Trotter was was a was to be feared in his kitchen. You know, he would he would scream and yell and threaten your family. And and these were all things that, you know, were, were driven by his obsession to succeed. So, yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Good, For good, sure. uh, good call out. I'll definitely check that out. For sure. So, so we see um, Sid a little interaction between Sid and Suge, and Suge, you know, is pregnant, so she's. Um, kind of burning the can on both ends, running the bookkeeping for the bear and, and being an expectant mom and everything. And so uh, Sid notices that and says, hey, have you eaten yet? And she's like, no, I haven't. He's like, well, let me make you something. And, and that, I, I think, is, is encapsulates um, what the calling of being a chef is. It's like, let me make you something. Because as chefs, you show love through cooking for others. And um, I've said this in other pods, but I feel like everybody, no matter if you're a professional chef or not, should have at least one or two things, two recipes in your head that you can pull out at any time, even if it's just an omelet or scrambled eggs or a good breakfast or something like that, because cooking for somebody, I think, is is one of the ultimate shows of love. And that's what Sid's doing for Sugar here. And she makes this omelet. And, and I want to talk about this this cooking hack, right? I've never seen this before until this this uh, episode. So Sid's making a, a three-egg French omelet, but she cracks the eggs in a fine mesh strainer and scrambles it through that, which then I guess it comes out and they have a smoother egg. And the, the, the omelet itself looks great. I mean, the, the added twist was the, uh, the chips on top that she crushed up, crushed up sour cream and chips. Um, so I, I said, why is she doing that? So I Googled it and I looked up uh, – uh, there was an article by Bon Appetit that talked about that particular hack, and they said there's – people think eggs are only three parts, the shell, the yolk, and the and the white. Uh, really, the egg is like seven or eight parts, and a lot of those parts don't scramble well together. And sure enough, I I did the hack, and I, I looked what was left in my stream. I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's so much left that, that won't homogenize, and the result – is a much smoother egg that's less rubbery when you're when it's scrambled or turned into an omelet and i could actually tell the difference and i will not scramble my eggs any other way now so when you saw this hack have you ever done it yourself or was that uh new to you and you're like oh i'm so glad they showed that i do that all the time it's such a great thing i mean that that took me back to uh you know the am kitchen at the cia culinary school because that's very that's you know, cooking 101, French omelet, like you, any, any, you know, cook worth their salt needs to make you a, a beautifully fluffy French omelet with no color. You know, it, it's kind of sucks that the, the American style is the one with the brown on it, but you know, everybody's going to laugh about that. But um, even to the point where some of the, some of the chef instructors would, would teach the use of chopsticks. I never use chopsticks, but 
what they did was they break up the curd. So, you know, you have your nonstick pan, you have your butter, you put your eggs down and you, 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 you know, use the chopsticks in a way that they're, you know, you're, you're scrambling the curd in the pan. So it, it makes it smooth and, and, you know, breaks it up more, makes a nice fluffier omelet. But the, the mesh strainer thing was twofold for us because they didn't want, they wanted us to learn, you know, also not to crack eggshells, obviously in the eggs. I mean, <laughs> you're cooking, you know, you're cooking eggs for a lot of people. So they were always either in a chinois or a strainer of some kind. So, you know, it, it definitely was, was a twofold use there, but yeah, it, it's always nice to see them showing something that's simple, but shows technique. I mean, cooking an omelet like that is an art form. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of the most, you know, old school cooking things you can do, but it's still, it's such a beautiful thing when it's done correctly. It just shows that the simplest things can sometimes be the hardest in cooking, like learning how to make a, an omelet. Oh, I can make an omelet, but yeah, but you can make an omelet that's, that's got cheddar cheese and, and, you know, is burned up. You know, I'm, I'm talking about making something that shows finesse, you know, you know, beautifully cut chives on top, you know, something like that. So it was mm -hmm. nice to see that. Yeah, it was a, it's a cool little hack, and and now I that's how I make all my scrambled eggs and omelets. I pull out that strainer, and it's it's such a cool little trick, and I'm I'm so glad watching the bear. It's, it's educational as well as entertaining. Um, so if you haven't done that yet, go watch that episode and and try that. But you know, make sure it's a fine mesh strainer, not the kind that you like wash vegetables in. <laughs> it's it's got to be that fine mesh strainer there. So, uh, so so cool scene. Love that one. Uh, so we're, we're right about to open and Richie is giving the opening speech of his life to the crew and, uh, it's just truly inspiring, truly inspiring just to get the troops motivated. I think that my favorite part was, uh, when he references, uh, Vasudeva, the ferryman, uh, said to Siddhartha on the banks of the Ganges river, I'm like, what is he talking about? And everybody up there is like, what in the world is happening now? And he says, listen better. And I was like, wow, that's, that's a fun little snippet there. And I actually Googled the story. I was like, yeah, that's exactly what, uh, uh, Vasudeva, the ferryman did say to, uh, Siddhartha on the banks of the Ganges river, just wild, wild, funny stuff. There's a conversation happening uh, after that between Carmi and Sid under the table. Um, a, a very momentous conversation. I think this is probably the most intimate conversation I've seen between two people that weren't about to sleep together <laughs> uh, on a TV show. They're just they're pouring out their their vulnerabilities at this point. Carmi's admitting to losing focus throughout the the entire prep of the restaurant. Sid's revealing her fears of failure. Um, Sid says, you can do this without me. And Carm says, I couldn't do this without you. I wouldn't even want to do it without you. You make me better at this. And, and Sid says, you make me better at this. And, and so at this point you think, okay, this or any other show, this is where like they would kiss. Right. Uh, but you know, it, it's not, and it's such a great thing that the show is showing between two platonic professionals, um, working together as professionals, but having that vulnerability to make each other better in that sense and to not be anything, you know, overtly sexual. Even my wife watching this episode saw this scene and said, they just need to kiss and hook up. And I said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It would ruin the show. You, this is not what you want happening with Carmi and Sid. What do you think about that? The show would ruin the restaurant in real life. So <laughs> it might be, you don't want those kind of problems in your kitchen. It never works out. <laughs> Yeah. So, so what do you think of that scene? That that kind of almost final scene there of this episode, where where they finally kind of sit and talk what they should have been doing throughout the entire season, but they finally get to sit and talk. I mean, it was great, but it also kind of was bittersweet in the sense that it, it kind of feels too little, too late. Like you, you literally could have had these conversations, you know, days ago, and you're doing it on the precipice of the biggest moment of potentially your life. You know, maybe. Uh, it's showing a little bit of um, of weakness, you know, and ultimately we find out that that is the case, that they both are, they needed to be on the same page a lot sooner. And it just kind of feels like, okay, well, you know, it's going to happen where we got each other's backs, but you know, I, there's definitely some trepidation from the both of them. So, yeah. Yeah. 
so we're we're five minutes to open, and they get the, the the crank up the music again, and everybody's looking good. You get Chef in the Chef's jacket. Carmi gave Sid a brand new Chef's jacket uh, in in appreciation and celebration of opening it. She's looking sharp. Everybody's looking good. And uh, Tina, I love Tina in particular, is taking charge in this scene. She's she's doing the housekeeping. She's calling everything out. She looks great doing it. Um, how nervous were you when you first opened up your truck? The first day you opened up the side and said, all right, let's, let's do it. I mean, when you put, it's a little different in the sense because you're not dealing as directly with people, you know, in, from, a from their, their version of hospitality and ours is a little different. I mean, we, I still want, we, I call our customers guests, even though it's a food truck, because ultimately it should be the same level of service, but you know, I, I think what what they're going for is a little more in depth. I mean, we're at the end of the day, we're we're breaking it down to let's cook the best possible food for these people, get the food out in a timely manner, and yes, you have to do that in a restaurant setting. But in a restaurant setting, there are things that buy you time. I don't have to tell you what those things are. You know what they are. I mean, you're getting your your cocktail. You know, you're ordering an appetizer. Whereas with us, it's like somebody could potentially come up and order, you know, a hundred dollars worth of food all at once, and we have to make it, and that's fine. But, you know, it's 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 less of the show, you know, the restaurants, the show. And I think that, um, you know, I think that they did a good job kind of showing how nervous they were. And hey, we're all nervous. I was nervous, you know, when I had to do that thing at, at CIA, they made us work front of the house. So they make you do that because you can't sit there and be in a kitchen. And and because that used to be the thing when I was a young cook. Oh, we, we don't like the servers, you know, like, OK, well, that's stupid because the servers make you money. You know, the more stuff they sell, the more food we cook, the more restaurant the money make, you know, the the more money the restaurant makes, the more money we get in our pockets. So ultimately, you know, we wanna we wanna empower everyone in our restaurant and and that's what you know that they were showing. Yeah, there's there's gonna be nervousness, but you know, we uh you know, we're all a team and that's what they were looking at. So Yep, yep. And then the episode ends. Uh, the everybody's kind of standing at the front door, and Richie's got his hand on the lock, and allows Sid to to say the magic words, "Let it rip." And then that's the episode closes with them unlocking the door. So we move right into see episode ten, uh, the season finale, directed by Chris Store, written by Kelly Galuska. Um, very reminiscent. The way it opens up, very reminiscent to me of this uh, season one, episode seven, the one take episode in that season, where the ticket machine was just going nonstop in that one. That was just really insane. This one is, is the same but different. You hear that ticket machine going, and this first part of the episode is a one take, uh, one take shot flowing between back of house and front of house. I love a good long take. So, what did you think of of this first half? Uh, of this episode being a, a long take. I loved it. I mean, it was, it, it makes it more realistic. There's a, there's another, um, after the pot, I'll send it to you. There's another movie. Um, I, I'm, it's, uh, the name is slipping from me, but basically it's, it's almost like a, a point of view movie in a restaurant. So basically you're in the restaurant, you're just a fly on the wall in this restaurant and it's it's a crazy busy restaurant. There's, there's, you see everything that happens in the front of the house. You see the, I think it's called Boiling Point, but you see like you see all the um, you know the customers that have issues. You see they literally get a health inspection right when they open. So all the crazy stuff that you would expect to see, and it's filmed like that. It's filmed like a one take shot where it's P, you know POV like while wow, you're in the middle of this craziness. It's like it doesn't even feel like a uh, a movie. It's almost you know you want. PTSD definitely one of those kind of feelings when you watch it like oh my god this is like I'd like get me out of here so but that's you know that's that's why I liked it it was it was the way they shot it was realistic so yeah I love the way they moved in and out of the front and back of the house even the the music changed the atmosphere changed it was almost kind of like um culture shock a little bit moving from the back of the house to the front of the house it's like a whole different you know we as customers only see one half of how a restaurant runs um, oh, yeah. so to see him going back and forth and, and hearing kind of the chaos in the kitchen to what is orderly out in front is is really was really cool to see and and richie's just a pro at work in the room now um he gets to sid's dad's table uh sid doesn't sid's dad doesn't drink alcohol he's a soda guy and right on cue fact turns the corner with uh soda on ice and that's that 
training that he went to at ever for a week that's starting to kick in and you're starting to see it. And it's, it was really, really neat to see. Um, and then you start seeing the kitchen on the other end of that. When we flow back into the kitchen, the chaos, the kitchen starting to get into the weeds a little bit. And Josh is nowhere to be seen. New chef, Josh, we've seen him in a couple of episodes mowing through carrots. He's nowhere to be found. We're going to find out where he is here in a little bit. Um, and then the forks again, play this common theme throughout a, lo a lot of these later episodes where Carmi was told many times, hey, you don't have enough forks. I've done the count. You don't have enough. He said, I'll get it later. I'll get it later. And now they're out of forks. So <laughs> Sugar tells uh, Gary, go to the store, buy every fork they have. And uh, it, it's just it's interesting when you see start seeing some of these cracks showing through um, uh, on the on the service. So what did you think of this first part here where they're just starting to kind of get in the weeds a little bit? They're not quite there yet in the weeds, but uh, what did you think of, of those scenes? Well, that that dichotomy, that front of the front and back of the house thing is, I mean, basically what it comes down to is you can have a fire, you can have anything happening in that kitchen and, you're, and your front of the house can never know about it. I mean, they, the, your service staff will know, but your guests can never know. So, you know, that, that could be somebody fighting. That could be something on fire. That could be anything. And it, it's it's part of the show, like we talked about. You have to make sure that, that that never spills past that door. So it is that craziness of, like, you're in the, you're in the middle of the craziness. You walk out the door, and, you're, and then next you go to the, you know, the dining room, which is also crazy, but in a different way. It's, it's less... You know, it's less heat and different energy, but it's crazy in a different way. And that's why I have a lot of respect for people in the service industry. I know it's hard. You know, it's 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 part on both ends. You know, it's it's not an easy business to be in, but I think they do a good job of showing that, you know, that uh, like that relationship between the front of the house and back of the house and and how you're starting to see that as much as they have to look like they have it under control they might not always have it under control, but they have to sh make it look like they do at all times. That's your job is, is put your face on and never let your guests worry about a thing. I mean, your, your guests can't know that you don't have forks. You know, your guests can't know these things. There's no way that's acceptable in any way, shape or form to go, Oh, we don't have a fork for you, sir. I mean, that's not, that's not even a possibility. So you make it happen always. Yep. That, that's the phrase that I always, that I always took from kitchen to make it happen. I had chefs who tell me, just make it happen. Chef, I don't have it. Make it happen. <laughs> and and that means if you're asked to run to the grocery store, you go get it and you make it happen. That's just what it is. So every yeah. time. Yep. So I, I thought that was really cool and, and interesting. And right when at, at the height of them in the weeds, they're really backed up at this point at a critical moment. Carmi, because of his non-conscience and because of the divided focus, gets locked in the fridge. And I thought this was a really cool twist on the fridging trope. Have you ever heard of that trope in screenwriting and, and writing in general with in like plays and stuff like that? So the fridging trope, it, it, it's happened in writing all throughout history, but it was actually coined by Gail Simone in 1994, literally because they fridged a character. So in Greenlander number 54, I'm getting a little geeky insider baseball here. In Greenlander number 54, Kyle Rayner's Green Lantern, he finds his girlfriend has been killed and literally stuffed in the fridge. Uh, and the point of that was to further his his story and to further his plot. So the whole point of him having a girlfriend was to kill her. So to further the plot. So um, you think of Batman's parents, they were fridged, they were killed so they could further the plot. Uh, and it's usually, it's usually a woman that's killed or fridged and to further the man's story. So I love that this was a twist on that where they didn't fridge Claire, so to speak, but they literally fridged the main character, which is, Carmi. They fridged the main character and as a result the supporting character story was elevated and the supporting character stories were were pushed forward. Um, so I, I, I just thought that was a really, I don't know if they intentionally did it that way, but I just thought that was a really interesting twist of that trope that you see in, in all kinds of movies, like in, uh, you know, every Christopher Nolan movie, except for Dunkirk, somebody's getting a, a woman's getting fridged and, and, uh, Julia Stiles character and Jason Bourne, she was fridged and Libby and Shannon and lost. They were fridged. So it's, it's a, a neat little twist on that, on that trope. So, um, but once he's in there, he starts having some some existential crisis in there. He's starting to realize 
where he lost focus. He, he, you know, he's asking Tina, when did we start buying Heinz instead of French's mustard? And when did all this happen? And she's like, well, you know, we, we've done all this already and, and you wanted to approve it and you just approved it. And he starts apologizing. Like, I'm, I'm sorry that I feel like this is all my fault. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's just really interesting how they, how they did that because the, the, as I was saying, the supporting characters, stories all get elevated here. So Richie steps in, saves the day by running Expo, right? Uh, Sid puts the team on her back, gets all the chefs where they need to be. Um, and so what started as in season one, episode one, where a bunch of these characters are just a bunch of individuals acting crazy, they start coming together as a team and they did it without Carmi. Uh, so this, so despite Carmi being Fridge, the team succeeds. Uh, so what, what did you think of, of that scene basically from that point forward of how they handled, um, Carmi being ex- essentially non-existent in this episode to everybody else really rallying and, and putting the team on their back? I mean, it shows that everyone has to step up, you know, Sydney, um, you know, has to, has to be the leader in the kitchen. Um, you know, every, the, the pass is now, you know, another person running that there's, there's everyone's got to step up and it almost makes you feel like Carmi wasn't even needed in this season. Like, like he literally was, was a, like you said before, a background character. I mean, he went from being the guy, the troubled individual to now being like, okay, well you're locked in the walk-in now. So what do, what do we need you for? I mean, like literally we have to make this happen. Like we talked about before uh, you, you have to, you know, your guests can't see that. They have to know that everything's going off without a hitch and everyone had to step up. So and, and just for those that have fear of walk-ins, if, if you ever decide to work in the service industry, look, they make an emergency handle on the inside to prevent this thing from happening. So they, they did just, it always, though. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I, I've heard stories of chefs that got – they you know, walk-in freezers, too. I, I literally heard a story about a chef who had to wrap himself up in boxes and spend the night in one of those things. And, that I mean, that's a scary thing to think about, to be stuck in one of those damn things. A fridge is one thing, but a freezer, yeah, I don't know if they're going to make it. So, but yes, they, they all have, I think it's by law. They have to have the, uh, I mean, unless it's a really old restaurant, I'm pretty sure they all have that button. So you're getting out of there. Yeah. He's, he, he's getting out of there. I mean, it's possible that with the beef being as old as it was, it's possible they didn't have that emergency handle on the inside. So, you know, could be, could be realistic. Uh, so we, we see uh, in the midst of all that chaos, we, we do see Donna actually come to the restaurant, but she doesn't, Donna being Carmen Shug's mom, if you remember in episode six, she was a mess. Um, some mental health issues, probably some alcohol abuse going on with her and just kind of the center of turmoil in, in everybody, in, in everybody in the Berzato family. Um, she actually gets there, but doesn't walk in. Nobody sees her, but Pete, Pete is Shug's uh, husband. He sees her, walks out there and go, hey, come on in, come on in. They're, ha- you know, they're going to be happy to see you. And uh, Donna has a, a, a brief moment of self-reflection here. And she says, you know, I don't I don't deserve to see how good this is. I don't know how to tell them I'm sorry. and I don't want to hurt it, um, which is remarkable seeing that from episode six, where um, because of whatever mental health issue she was having in, in alcoholism it, she she centered that dinner around herself and wouldn't let anybody help her didn't know how to express love to to anybody in the family and 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 now looking at this going i don't i don't want to mess this up everything's going great and i don't want to mess it up and pete you know bless his heart he's he's a sensitive guy and he's kind of like you know you need to come in your your daughter has is has been looking forward to this and um so what'd you think of that conversation there between uh donna and pete I mean, she knows that, you know, it, it might be uh, it might be irreparable at this point. You know, she knows that it's a lifelong, uh, you know, lifelong trauma that she's kind of, you know, given them. And, you know, as, as much as she wants to be a support system, which I'm sure she wants to, it's she 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 feels like, you know, hey, well, maybe I, you know, I did. I didn't do enough as a mother. I, did, I wasn't really there for them. And now how, how dare I show up at this at this high point in their life when, you know, I had to, I gave them so much, you know, you know, so much stuff to, to screw them up, so to speak, you know, I mean, the way Carmi acts in the first episode, I mean, the first season, like you think that he's, you know, he's been through a lot of crap. And then when you see it in the, you know, the Christmas episode, it, it just kind of shows, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on there. So I think it, 
from a yeah from a from a human standpoint, it was big of her to say that. But there's a part of me that's kind of like, well, you know what? Maybe you should go in there. Maybe you should show your face and 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 let bygones be bygones. But yeah, you know, maybe that's maybe that's for another season. Who knows? And and whatever maybe uh, thought she had about going in her, her decision to leave was solidified when, when Pete let loose that sugar was pregnant and Donna didn't know, like nobody told her that she was going to be a grandmother. And and I think hearing that and not knowing before then solidified it to her. like, I don't need to go in right now. This, this is not the right time for me. So, you know, to Pete's credit though, he comes back in and he really tries to hold it together, but he's, he's uh, crying, crying like a waterfall to, to sugar. And he's, um, spares her feelings, doesn't say why he's crying, uh, but makes something up to say, you know, I'm just so happy for you and you're really good at this and 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 doesn't make one mention of of mom sh- showing up and leaving because I had he told her that, I think Sugar would have fell apart. I, I, I think Sugar was really wanting mom to come in there and, and take part in the success and her not coming in there was would have been detrimental so a lot of deep a lot of deep things going on you got carmy having an existential crisis in the fridge you got donna showing up and, and having that emotional exchange so they break up i love how they break up the tension here because marcus is trying to look for josh doesn't know where josh is um, richie sends him out to the alley and he finds josh out there smoking meth and mark is like is that meth? And he goes, I think I got to fire you. Let me check. And oh my gosh, hilarious. Just the, the next couple of scenes are just so funny because he goes back in there and talks to Sid. It's like, yo, I just saw Josh smoking crack in the alley. I think we got to fire him. And she's like, yeah, you absolutely have to fire him. And then Marcus has a moment. He goes, well, you saw him mow through those carrots, right? <laughs> um, one thing I got to say about the bear that I thought was interesting in season one and, and thus far into season two, they didn't really play on that stereotype of the drug addled chef. Right. Um, but they did it here and they did it for comedic effect. I thought it was a, a, an interesting choice. And I thought it was a, a, a fun choice because, you know, they could have easily made Carmi uh, a drug addict following in the footsteps yeah. of his brother, but they didn't um, or, or an alcoholic, but they didn't. So I'm really glad that they didn't kind of, take that easy stereotype but they did it with josh and and josh hilarious what'd you think of that scene i mean it's it's a part of the industry unfortunately but i i think that it's so it, it's kind of a an era that's passed though i think that it's more you know there, there's more people that are that are into the healthy living and 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 they can find their their ways to re, you know release the tension of working a restaurant in different ways you know a lot of chefs i know do you know, jujitsu or they do other things. I mean, I feel like that's definitely a, an, an old, a, an older kind of situation because you're not going to be successful if you're doing that all the time, because you're going to, you're going to have, you're going to have moments where you're going to break, you know, it's not something that's sustainable. So if you're going to be in this industry for a longer time, you have to be, you have to do things that are going to keep you on your feet. And I don't think smoking crack is one of those. <laughs> so I think, that, <laughs> I, you know, I think that, um, you know, it's kind of a humorous thing. Unfortunately, there's people that, you know, in this industry that have addiction. There's addiction everywhere. It's it sucks. It's part of the world we live in. But, you know, I think when you when you show it in that light, and that's why he made the joke. You know, hey, you know what? As as much as this guy's doing this this drug right now, we need him. You know, that's kind of what they're getting at. Like, hey, man, we need his help. You know, I don't care if he's he's I don't care if he's got half a leg. You know, he's got to get in here and help us out. I think that's where he was coming from. Like, you know all men on deck, especially the first night. I mean, I don't, I don't want to send anybody home on the first night of opening a restaurant. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just funny. He's like, I mean, you see him cutting those carrots earlier. <laughs> so that was yeah. Hilarious. So back at the fridge, uh, you know, services, we made it through service. Richie saves the day. He, he puts the tea on his back and in five minutes clears the tickets and everybody's having a great time. Uh, and, and Tina is back there at the fridge talking to Carmi and Carmi's talking to Tina. But at some point, you know, Claire figures out that uh, Carmi's back at the fridge, locked in. So he she goes back there checking on him, and he's still talking as if Tina was out there. So he's expressing his feelings about, you know, how I wasn't 100% focused on the restaurant, and Claire was a waste of time. And then Claire's like, oh, hearing all this, and and essentially is like, I, yeah, I'm sorry you feel that way. And they and they break up, or what appears to be a, a breakup. Uh, and which is heartbreaking because you see him being happy for the first time in two seasons with Claire. And then 
as he's having an existential crisis in the free in the fridge, he ruins that almost like he self sabotaged it. But you know, he didn't know that Claire was standing outside. And then probably the best scene of this episode um, is that side by side yelling match between Carmi and Richie. The way they framed it, um, the yeah. way they had uh, Richie on the outside and and Carmi on the inside with the fridge door as the divider. I just thought was a beautiful shot and the way that they were arguing back and forth with each other is really the type of argument that two family members that love each other can have. Like that is a special type of argument um, where, you know, there's a, a, a phrase where somebody said that the, the ones that hurt you most are the ones that know you the best. And mm-hmm. it's, and, and they do, they're, they're best friends and, uh, and they're just yelling at each other. But, Richie's at the end is like, I love you, man. I love you, man. And it it was just a, a really remarkable, beautiful, heartbreaking scene. What what did you think about that? I mean, yeah, it's tough love, you know. I mean, there's all the only people that are gonna give you that are the people that know you the best. You know, if you're being an ass, you know, they're gonna call you out on it and say, Hey, you're being a jerk. Um, you know, as soon as that scene started and you see her walk up, you in your head you're like, Oh god, he's gonna blow it. And he does. You know, I mean he's He's obviously lost all control and he's saying the worst possible thing you can say, especially to somebody you're just trying to start a relationship with. I mean, you literally just blew it. So, you know, his, you know, his cousins, Richie, Richie's just trying to be like, hey, bud, you know, you got to you got to tone it down. You know, like if you care about this girl, if you care about this restaurant, you know, just just be quiet. You know, (laughs) and he's he keeps running his mouth. So that's unfortunate what happened. So. Yeah, and then and then Richie puts a little cherry on top and calls him Donna. calls calls Carmi. You're you're so you're so much like Donna, and that just sets him off because he knows that Carmi and doesn't have a good relationship with his mom. And to call him basically you are your mother's son is just a slap in the face to Carmi, and he's spitting yeah. at the door. And again, just a very emotional, like Emmy winning scene between the two of these two uh, between the two of these actors. I thought was was really great. And then to cement it all in, you know, Mikey finally listens to that voicemail that Claire left. And Claire says all the things that I think Carmi wishes that his family and Mikey would have said to him was, you know, I'm I'm proud of you. I'm I'm proud of what you're doing and and I love you. And then she she breaks out the L word and he just like chucks his phone. He can't believe how badly he messed this up. So and that's kind of where we where we end things with the season, kind of on this cliffhanger with with him getting sawed out of the of the fridge. So there's a lot of open questions to tackle, I hope, for a season three. And I think as much as as much of a success as season one and two has been, it'd be stupid not to have a season three. Oh, yeah. um, so a lot of open questions, I think, you know, what will happen between Claire and Carm? Is this breakup happening? Um, will Richie continue on his path of self-improvement? Um, will Sid earn the bear a Michelin star? Um, how will Marcus hold up once he realized he missed so many calls and texts from from his live-in nurse about his mom, who probably looking at all the missed calls and messages sounds like she passed away during opening night? And uh, will the Brazado family ever heal? Will will they ever come together as a family and and uh, start the healing process? Um, so, what did we think overall uh, about season two in comparison to season one? I mean, we talked about it before, but season two is the the end result. You know, it's the end result of of, of all the the hard work and, and ultimately them finding the money at the end of the, at the first season and, and piling that into a restaurant. It gives you the, the bird's eye view of uh, opening a restaurant from inception, you know, to the first day. And, you know, that's why the, the cliffhanger at the end of this season is it's, it sucks for me because like, I just want to see if they finish service. Like I just want to, <laughs> I just want to see if everybody left happy and if they enjoyed the food and, you know, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to, to not have that closure because we all want it. So, I mean, for sure, you know, I, I'm I'm really, really going to be fascinated how they start with the first episode. Like, is it going to go right into it or is it going to be the aftermath? You know, because, you know, it was just this was more of the the journey. I think the, the first season was the introduction. It was like, who are these people? It was just kind of this random show. And then we're taking now we're taking the characters and developing them into what we hope now or mainstays throughout for more seasons and kind of seeing where this thing goes. I mean, they could have very easily just killed, killed it off with, with, you know, a different ending and say, Hey, it's going to end happy, but, but nobody wants that. I mean, we want it. We want some cliffhangers. So definitely looking forward to see where they take it. 
Yeah, so I thought season two was was really great. Uh, they really gave a lot of characters room to breathe, which is impressive for only a thirty, you know, a ten a ten episode thirty minute per episode season. They they really fleshed out a lot of characters in that time. Really efficient. Um, I I thought it was I thought overall it was really great. A lot of they were Emmy nominated for season one uh, for a lot of characters and a lot of the writing. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hoping they'll win some Emmys and for sure, I think season two is going to have some Emmy nominations in there. So, uh, well, if, sure. if you guys have listened this far, we have a special treat for you. We are, we're handing out employee awards, uh, for season two of the bear. So we're handing out three awards. We're handing out employee of the year who we thought, uh, really, uh, stepped up and, and helped the bear succeed. And then we're handing out a most improved employee award, um, who over, you know, season one and two, who uh, deserves uh, the most improved employee, who, who made the biggest turnaround. And then the employee MVP award, uh, who, who we think is the most valuable player on this team that had they not done one thing or another, uh, the bear would not have happened. So who did you pick uh, for employee of the year? Employee of the year for me, simply based on his journey would be Marcus. Because he literally is that guy that you can leave to do his thing and everything will be, you know, you know, when you have that guy in your kitchen, when you have that steady hand, when you have that guy, like, I don't have to worry about him. Marcus is good. He's going to make amazing desserts. He needs a little bit of instruction, but for the most part, let the guy alone. He's got his books. He's got, you know, he can do it all himself. Just kind of let it go. I mean, there's guys like that in every kitchen. You you keep those guys around. You take care of them. You pay them well because they, you know, and they do their thing. And, and ultimately, those are the guys that end up becoming your predecessors or, or they open a new restaurant and, hey, let's tap Marcus to be the new chef. So that's what you want to see. You want to see that constant, you know, constant ability to to learn and create and to be a steady hand in a kitchen because the last thing you want in any kitchen is is somebody that you always have to be on top of. So that's my pick. Interesting. I had Marcus for the most improved employee, actually, to see okay. his uh, turnaround from where he was not knowing how to bake bread to now making, you know, three Michelin star desserts um, I, for all the reasons you stated, uh, but for a different for a different category. I thought he's definitely the most improved employee for my employee of the year. Um, I had Richie. Um, his turnaround through the season has been just insane. And the way he stepped up when they needed him to, when they were in the weeds and he took control of that expo station and was calling out the orders, uh, you know, I think dinner service was, was saved by, by Richie. So Richie's my employee of the year. Who was your most improved employee? We just flipped him because Richie was, was, was my choice. Because <laughs> Richie, like, I mean, you, you can't not pick Richie. I mean, the guy literally was like. He 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 had no use in in the first season. He was literally like, get this guy. And even in the beginning of the second season, you're like, what is this guy doing? He's literally just in the way. He's talking about posters on the wall. I mean, he's just being a, he's being a, a, a. You thought he was the the leftover person from a bygone era, you know, from the 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 beef. You know, this guy literally brings nothing to the table. You know, he's gonna screw it up whatever he does. And then what what does he do? He ends up becoming an invaluable piece to your restaurant. I mean, he's, he's the, the showman now he's the, he's the one dealing with all your guests. So I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, fun. So we, we flipped that. So that's interesting. Interesting. So the last award is the employee MVP award. Uh, I was kind of a toss up. Uh, I, at first I, I was going to give it to fact because if not for fact, figuring out, uh, that Michael sabotaged the fire suppression system for the gas, not to shut off the bear wouldn't have even happened. If once he figured that out, they were they were literally cooking with gas. So uh, I, I was thinking about giving it to Fac. I also thought about Sugar because without Sugar's bookkeeping skills and keeping everybody kind of straight because of Carmi's kind of divided focus, again I think the bear wouldn't have opened because they would have, you know, pissed away the money and and not known where it was all going. But so for me it's either Fac or Sugar. I think I'm landing on I'm on more on Fac. Uh, because even with Sugar's bookkeeping skills and keeping everybody straight, if Fat hadn't figured out the suppression system, we wouldn't have the bear. So who is your MVP? Funny you said Fat, because I was between Sydney and Fat. But Sydney for me kind of lost some steam. You know, when they started showing her kind of like you know being, you know, a little little self confident about her dishes and you know what 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 do you think of this? What do you think of this? And then in my head, I'm like, you know, it is Fat because Fat was the guy, like you said, with the gas. But he's that wild card. 
that you have to have in a restaurant. Like this guy literally can fix anything. Um, he'll he'll do anything for you. I mean, like, hey, hey, man, I need you to go to do this, buy this, fix this. He's that guy, and you need, you know, you need that guy, and and that's ultimately what. You know, in my mind, when you have that in a restaurant, even if it's the dishwasher, I mean, that that guy can literally be the backbone of your kitchen. Like he'll do anything to help you and he'll fix anything. Um, Be there when you need him. Be on time. Um, You know, I don't know what in that world, what they're getting, what he's getting paid. I don't know what cut he gets compared to the rest of them. But I mean, when you when you have a guy that's as dedicated as he is and and like you said, you don't know what his real value is monetarily. I mean. Hey, I'll take that every day. I, I I love those kind of guys, the wild card guys that you know, literally. Hey, I, hey, I need you to you know fix my oven, and they're down there, you know, splicing wires and you know fixing the fryers and doing just doing all the stuff that is saving you money. And when you're when you're running a kitchen, the last thing you want to do is is get some repair guy in your kitchen who's going to be you know fifty dollars an hour and taking his sweet sweet time to do something when you have a guy in house, and then and then for him to step up to the to the front of the house and be a mater d and and be you know being you know both both sides of the coin was was pretty cool so that's why i don't know i mean i, I it's it's a little bit of a of a random choice for me but that's why i was kind of relieved when you said it because he was definitely mine so oh yeah so so fact is the mvp congratulations fact for being the employee mvp well i think we did it we we recapped all 10 episodes and i had a great time doing it uh i appreciate your time being with us and and uh recapping these episodes with me. I had a, had a great time. Sure. So, so one last time, let everybody know where you are online, where they can find you, any upcoming things people need to know about uh, that, that you want uh, people to attend. Sure. So um, uh, at Vuka Jacks on Facebook and Instagram, uh, we'll be putting the new schedule up shortly uh, this evening on uh, VukaStreetFood.com. Uh, we'll have a full schedule this week starting tomorrow. Um, Nakati Food Truck Friday this week. We'll be at Ram as usual on Saturdays. But uh, just just trying to stay busy. So we're trying to give you as many chances as you can to come get some food from us. Awesome. And his food is excellent. If you get a chance to find, if you see that bright red truck uh, <laughs> riding down the road, you know, do some NASCAR-like evasive maneuvers and, and follow him wherever he stops because he's putting out some great, great food. Um, so, Chef Damien, thank you so much, everybody else. Thank you for listening. Uh, make sure to follow us on socials at Rich Rare at Eat Your Content. I'm putting out some new content here in the next few weeks, so make sure you're following to be uh, notified of those. So, Chef Damien, again, thank you for your time. Thanks, Rich. It was my pleasure. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thank you.